Hi there, Dave Levine here. Thanks for joining me for episode 7 of the Sports Stories podcast. You may recall our special guest in the previous show was Paul Smith sharing elements of his story as a professional cricketer. Well, our special guest today is Pete Ackley. Pete also has a connection with cricket. Following many years working in the banking industry, Pete then moved on to work with the England-Wales Cricket Board and then moved to another large and influential governing body in the Football Association. I've known Pete and worked alongside him for many years. Pete has a vast experience of working in sport development and is currently the Chief Executive Officer of British American Football. I'm really delighted to have him with me today to share some of his journey and some of his great insights and experiences. I'd therefore like to take this opportunity to wish Pete a very warm welcome to the Sports Stories podcast. Pete, it's really great to see you again. Thanks for joining me on the Sports Stories podcast. I was been reflecting earlier today about the times when we first met and I think we first came together and worked alongside each other when you were at the ECB and that was probably over 20 years ago and it really yep. took me by surprise there. So it's fabulous to have you on and I know part of your story from being partly involved in sort of the, the retail banking sector right through sport and there's been many ups and downs, many opportunities for you as I know to work within some really high profile sporting organizations which I know you still are heavily involved in those sports so uh, a good place for me to start would be to just ask you to tell me a little bit more about yourself so the people that are listening in can get a sense of who you are because I know you quite well but they don't so tell me a little bit about yourself and possibly start off with your first memory of sport well first memory is Clearly, you always, I went there and always, you always realise you played sport from a young age. But yeah, yeah, I used to play, I've always played sport. And it was only in a very recent, you know, during the lockdown, sorting out of drawers and loft spaces and cupboards, um, found an old, very, very old black and white photograph of me playing cricket on a beach. Uh, I think it was Blackpool Beach. Um, and I would be 18 months old. And with a bat and a ball, you know, probably, I'm probably about as good as I ever was with a bat and a ball, to be perfectly honest. but. Um, I, I always remember thinking there were people watching me play and I, 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 you know, I don't remember being 18 months old or two years, obviously, but there was something in that I could do this and I've always played sport, you know, cricket, football, rugby, golf, you know, could never, where I come from, a council estate, Caddy's Ed council estate in, in Salford. Um, luckily enough, through all that process, went to, a, went to a grammar school, which then really opened up the ability to, play sport was sport um, was sport in your family then as well is that how you got involved yeah. in it yeah not not so much in the way i would see it now dad, dad was a cricket fan um and and encouraged me but wasn't wasn't a, a great cricketer but was very keen uh, mum not really any sporting but you know two parents who gave you the opportunity and encouraged you but not weren't members of sports clubs, weren't members of a local cricket, football, tennis club, weren't coaches, weren't weren't able financially to to be access that system. So my you know, I learned my cricket at the end of the street under a against a lamppost. That was it. That was where you learn. You know, it's um and you only could score square of the wicket or straight down the other street. So even when I played at any level, <laughs> there's only three places I could ever score runs because that's yeah, that's all I could ever do. I wasn't very good at that either, to be fair. But, um, <laughs> and then carried it on through school and, and uh, later on in life? Yeah, through school, through then met friends who were then part of a cricket club and then, you know, then started playing. Probably, in terms of organised cricket, probably, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old, there or thereabouts. 
and then quickly it was in those days where you know you had a you had someone who you, you now know was probably a, a mentor and a someone who looked out for you unfortunately my father was was ill when I was young and wasn't able to support in that way so someone at the cricket club then took you under their wing and sort of encouraged you and gave you all of that advice and guidance and let you make every mistake possible but then you know take the learning from it and and that's how I got involved and played played cricket football and rugby and I just played any sport I could just frustrated PE teacher probably that's what I wanted to be but at the time it was a you know 16 go and get a job we needed we needed money coming into the to the to the household it was simple as that so but lucky got a job in a bank and that enabled me to work earn and thankfully then play play sport and gave me the opportunity to do that so that's how I got involved in cricket and played in the, the leagues in around Lancashire for, for many years so so you first kind of real job as it were was in banking nothing to yeah, do with sport yeah. what was it and when was it that you recognized and wanted a job in sport i suppose it was towards the towards the end of you know my my time don't get me wrong i was in that era in the mid mid 80s in banking it was wall street you know red stripy shirts red braces and you know it was <laughs> it was that point of you know and late 80s um, I was banking. I, I was really lucky to do, you know, business management courses, MBAs. I even worked abroad for a year, working in a in a different country in a different language, and great, great experiences. Where, did you, where, of, did, where were you? Where did you go and work? And I, I I I went to live and work in Spain and learned my Spanish in in Madrid, and then went to work in a in a bank in Cordoba in Andalusia, which which is like probably learning English in a language school in London, and then arriving in Newcastle the following morning, and then and the, the it was as though I had to relearn Spanish in a completely different accent and and uh, and and culture, which was a great great ability for putting yourself under pressure and learning about yourself is huge, and you translated that. And I suppose then it was all, all those bank you know working in banking you eventually you get frustrated by it. And I think I probably had one of those groundhog days of another day and some, I just think I've just done that. Sure, I, I'm a, I absolutely have just done that. And it was no, and you only about there was, I've got to do this now. I was very lucky early in my career, got promoted, did well, got to various levels in, in, the, in the bank and great opportunities like I've just talked about. But then it's sort of early, well, about 30 years old, you realize I've got to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And then it was, what else do I really, really want to do? And why do I want to do it? And that was then, that was the opportunity then to set myself up. It took a couple of years to think it through, but then started to work in, uh, it's, I was playing, playing cricket at the time as coaching as part of the, part of the role. And uh, What was it then that helped you recognise that you wanted to go and get a job in, in the sport world, or was it in cricket in particular? No, it was it was probably through my cricket coaching. As a role of being a professional in a club, you start to coach other people. And, you know, it was one of the club I was at, and we had a very, very young side. Well, no, when I went there, we had a very old, poor side. <laughs> and it was a question, well, if we're going to get beat every week with these old dodders around me, I might as well get all these kids in, yeah. and we'll develop them to be the best they can be. And, and we had, we had, well, one, we had a few of our fans, but it was a. I found that just investing in people, making people better, making a difference to what they did, right. then really started. To, oh, this is. 
I like this. And then through that, and it was at the time of, this was now probably early 90s, and Champion Coaching had just started its, in, I think Champion Coaching probably started in 1991, something like that. So this would have been around about 92, 93, started, well, do you know what, I could, someone asked me and said, hey, you can go and coach on these courses and you invest in kids and you, you they make them better and, and you get better, you get you get invested in those, you know, the, I'd never heard of coach development at that point, right. but actually, oh, you mean I can get better as well? <laughs> yeah, because, and you suddenly realize that what I want to do is get better at what I do, because if I get better at what I do, people I'm working with can grow and be much, much better at what they do. And so that, was, that, that, was, that was probably the time I really realized it was developing yeah. sport and developing people not just coaching people. And was that something then that you, it just came to you, that kind of realisation through your experiences, or was there anybody around you at that time that helped you kind of make sense of that? I think it was at that time where I was probably the first time I met uh, Sue Campbell, or Dame Sue Campbell now, and, and she was, it was the early stages of the, the trust and uh, the TOPS programme and, and investing in kids and, and adding to that champion coaching. And it's just one of those times of, you know, what was probably the biggest inspiration for me doing what I did. And, you know, still to this day, you know, in awe of what she's achieved, how she's achieved it. We're not always agreed. We've, we've, had, so we've had a couple of fallout, not always agreed, but absolutely in awe of of someone's single-minded purpose and drive to to develop sport and people in sport in this country and I'm probably one of the myriad of people who always everything they've done to Sue's vision and drive and and setting out what oh, this is what we can do what what you know she's a, a a very influential person in the sporting landscape um what one or two things has she really given you? What what impact did she really give you? And what did you learn from her, would you say, in those early stages of your career in sport? Yeah, I, I think it was probably whether she gave it or whether that's what I took from the, the yeah. conversations and the environment was, you know, have an absolute clarity of why you're doing what you're doing. Not, well, I'm, I'm coaching or I'm making them better or I'm teaching them something. It's it. Why are you doing what you're doing? And, and it just became really clear that I just want to make a difference to these people and make them as good as they can be, not make them the best or only coach elite or only coach a certain... It's just everybody you can make a bit better. And I always talk about it. It's just finding what's in there, whatever it is, and getting it out. And there you go. You've there's an improvement. You're better than you were. You've made a difference. You're enjoying it more. That can be... That's as big an impact. There's more enjoyment and they come and i've always talked on that come back again my point has always been if you leave them at the end of the session and they come back the next week yeah then that's you know that's a pretty big start in what you do and Pete, you're giving a quite a lot of way around your approach or your philosophy do, could, could you encapsulate that in, a, in a, a phrase or a saying or a motto that's driven you through your career at all well, i've always i've always stressed sort of probably if everybody now you, you have a hashtag obviously and I always I, I always sort of when I follow people on Twitter and LinkedIn and I, and I always sort of try and catch you know you always want to catch people doing great things and that's what I think is a good thing about what we all do you know catch your people doing good things and, and let them know and support them and it, you know I always sort of use the hashtag you know 
making a difference and that person's made a difference and I like that but I, I, I probably nail it down to well probably four things create opportunities for people that's what we all do create as many opportunities and the right opportunities at the right time in the right place um, and make the opportunity focused on the individual I think that's really important that we focus that's one of the things I took from probably business that being a customer focused about not, not the customer's right, but you focus on the customer need and that's the participant need in our, in our world. So create the opportunity, continuously improve everything you do, that you do and, that, and what we do. So that, that striving for doing a thousand things 1% better, not one thing a thousand percent better. So it's that continuous improvement. And then, then probably the biggest thing is, is, is influence others to help you, to guide you, to support you. And that, that's about your networking and your, and your partnerships because none of us can do this alone. It's impossible, whatever we do, whether it's sport, business, it, it, you can't, you know, we're in the middle of the biggest crisis, you know, probably since the war, probably ever, possibly. We'll never do this alone. So how do you influence others to support you and help you? So that, that influence and networking is the, probably the third area. And then and probably the fourth and most overriding is, is you, you want to leave something behind you know um, a good friend of mine who uh, i'll probably talk about a little bit about it, he talked about planting a tree that you'd, you'd ever see and he and that's something that always resonates with me when he talks about that but it's leaving your legacy and what is it you, what is it you leave behind and because you know into the cricket american football football any sport generally we're just trustees so we have to Holding pass it, it on now. yeah we're just holding it for now and we pass it on and if and we if we pass it on in a better condition than we found it, they'll tick. Good job. So they're the four things: continuous improvement, um, create opportunity, influence others, and leave a legacy or legacy. pass it on in a better condition than you found it. Wow, powerful stuff. So you've started into your career here. You've got these kind of you know I'm I'm sure some of those uh, statements or philosophies, mottos uh, of were formed by then, but also have grown and. Um, you know, continue to evolve as you've gone through your career. But then talk me through, you know, into, into your career in sport. So, you, you know, you started off your career, as I understand, with the ECB in cricket? I started, I started at Lancashire Cricket, actually. Okay. The, okay. I was at the formation when um, it was a formation of the ECB that then created cricket boards for the first time in a formal, it was, there was one governing body. I think there used to be two cricket governing body it was a test and county cricket board and a national cricket association that came together yeah. so lancashire created a cricket board and uh, i became one of their original development managers at lancashire I was, I was i was already working in and around what we then knew as became cricket development nice. <laughs> um but that was the uh, i started to get involved in and around the area and was lucky to uh, start to work there with some you know some great people on the ground there um and then Probably two, a couple of years later, three years later, then then went to ECB. Okay. Um, Nineteen ninety nine, actually World Cup year. So it was interesting. Last year was, I remember there was a World Cup final day. I remember twenty years before that was the start, and we, um, a colleague and I, uh, Dave Layton and uh, and I, sort of set up this whole World Cup program. Um, I went round the, the nineteen ninety nine World Cup, starting with a, you know. The World Cup program for young people linked to the World Cup, right? And that was my first real in involvement in a national governing body at that stage, sort of using schools and and development programs to 
to drive participation on the back of a, a massive event of, of a Cricket World Cup in England. You, you really opened the door for me in terms of my curiosity around, you know, what's coming out very strongly is your desire to want to make a difference, to grow and develop and help both individual people, but also kind of organisations, communities. Mm. And, I, and I know that's been part of the career that you've driven both in cricket and in football. Can you, can you take us to a place of, you know, one of your greatest successes? You know, what, what, what's the one of the things you've been most proud of? And I'm sure there's been many, but just to give us a real sense of um, something you're really proud of um, in either your football or your, or your cricket I career. Absolutely love the time I had at cricket. You know, best right. part, you know, 10 years at cricket, massive changes in everything we did and, and grew it to a, you know, what I think was one of the, one if not the leading development sport sport development programs in the country real real focus on doing things right and doing the right things and a real build and, and getting and getting that focus on yeah. you can't do everything for everybody so we had a real priority of that program so that was that was one of the things that i enjoyed at cricket was you know absolutely understanding that you can't you can't give 50 pounds to everybody in cricket and expect anything to change you've got to you've got to take some tough decisions okay you might not make the right decisions, but they're, they're tough decisions. That and and then invest in some real clear focused areas. And we worked around our clubs and then the schools around those clubs. And and I, I was really proud of the, the, the team that I you know had around me. You know, the, you always look at the fact that you know they then move on and do well. You sort of think that's 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 what you want your team to do. So so that was one of the things. Just to, you know creating that program and and working with you know, partners, you know, key stakeholders across across sports, sport England, sport Wales, and and other partners. So that's you know, you sat. That's when probably we got most involved with yeah. with um, Sports Coach UK as it was then, and yeah. and yourself and and Pat Duffy. That was you know one of the most sort of biggest influences at the time around coaching and coach development. And then um, I think when I went to football, it was a very a completely different animal. I mean, it's 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 the it's the national sport. It's enormous, and and a lot of people say, "Oh, different animal." What was what's different about it? Having been working in, in scale, time. scale and size of the sport. It's just it's complete reach. I'm I'm, I'm a, a massive passion for football. You know, I love my cricket and my rugby league and my rugby union. I, I love my sport, but football is that. It's this passion that just changes people and the way they react their behaviors it has this incredible impact on a tribal in some ways I, right. I always thought about it as logos and egos as that was one of the things it was very very commercially driven it was massive egos in the game and but i think more than anything it was it was the scale and reach of the game even i, I think i once described it early on as thinking I was, have I got my head around what I'm now responsible for or trying to develop? And, and I realised it was like nailing a jelly to a telegraph pole. It's, it's, you, you could never do it. it was, you were just constantly trying to... And I think one of the things early on was, um, and I didn't come in to, to, to drive, I came in to help support the team to do what we did. And, and hopefully the thing I was proud of is during that time, we, when I first went to the FA, we were in... Eight-year-olds would play football on pitches the size of Wembley in goals, <laughs> the size of full adult-sized goals. That's what that's what I did. What you did is what yeah. everybody did, and and it was that real clear determination. That this this has to change. And and I just remember there being 
when that went through and and it wasn't straightforward and way more people there wasn't nothing to do with me you know singularly it was a huge team effort but one or two people specifically drove that and I thought well I, my job was to do was to make sure they had all the air cover all the support they needed to do that specific task everyone used to one of the things I've, I've I'm not I don't read books and say this is the book that you have to read to make make a difference but there's a couple of books and one of them uh David Marquette in Turn the Ship Around he talked about the submarine commander and he talks about it was a leader follower so the leader tells you everything and the followers just do what they're told right. and that was probably the first time I was you know unconsciously at the time realizing that I want someone, one of my team has to lead this and absolutely nail this without any distractions, deliver. And Nick Lever, who's, who's now working at UK Coaching, probably one of the most inspirational people around coaching and coach development and talent ID I've, I've ever had the privilege to work with, drove that and with a bit with a team around him. And, and it's one of those things you always look back now and go, well, haven't we always played 5v5 and 7v7 and 9v9 and with a, with small pitches and the right size goals and, you know, all of the, the, the nuances that come with a, a proper child-focused or participant-focused yeah. sport? As you're talking, Pete, it really strikes to me again there about, you know, making a difference. So your philosophy or your value set coming out here, you know, making a difference but also leaving a legacy. You know, this, there's a real yeah. legacy. And I, I fully understand and appreciate it's such a big shift as you kind of painted the picture that actually there's lots of people have a small part to, to play in it. But I think it's really great just hearing and recognising the part that you played in it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 you know you're talking about one of those things. You know, you, you just do, you know, people say do things right, do the right things. But that, that was a real clear, that was, that was the right thing to do. You know, play. You know, these kids don't don't deserve to play football on these huge pitches. It's just wrong. How, Everything said that it was wrong. How did but we it work for hundred years? How did we work out though that it was the wrong thing to do and it had been done for so long? Was there a catalyst? Do you think in sport football world that recognised this? And I, and I, I think it was absolutely down to Nick Levitt's leadership in that, in that he identified absolutely clearly the academic research says right. this. The academic studies say this is the right thing to do. Here's all the academic research that says lots of touches of a ball, playing you know small-sided games, adapted versions of a game, you know lots of fun and enjoyment. Winning's unimportant, and all all the academic research tells you what you should do. Yeah, and it's backed up. Yeah, and on and the other side, of the, and on the other side of the fence, that was we've always done it this way, <laughs> and that's how we should continue doing it. If any one of those had produced the academic research contrary to the other evidence, then that's a fair point. It was just, we've always done it this way, so we'll carry on. Well, definition of madness. And I guess then was your was the journey that you were kind of heading and leading and helping support drive through was that, that, that change management between actually this is how we've always done it through to this is the direction and taking the big ship and the, on the journey and the people on the journey to this new world. Was that the, the programme really? Well, I thought it was a program. It was just the right. It was the right thing to do, and I, and I still say to this day, if if Lampard's goal against against Germany in the quarterfinal in South Africa had been given, everyone would have said, "But they're in a semi final of a World Cup again. It's all, all right." But actually, you know, key moments. <laughs> thankfully, key moments. It, yeah, uh, it, it it wasn't, and it didn't happen. And then there was a full youth development review, and guess what? We we did all the right things 
should have been done irrespective of Lampard's goal or otherwise. But I mean, it wasn't a program. It was it was a it was a behavioural change, a philosophical change across football, which you know that's where you have to take your hat off to the football association at that time. Was this is this is cultural change, and it was, and it was bought into across the piece. And you know, the, the football association takes stick and unwarranted in many many ways. That was the right thing to do, and singularly across an organisation from every level and at every point was the right thing to do. So much so that everybody who I remember was vehemently against it says that's the wrong, that was my decision to take it that way. And that's the classic thing in life, isn't it? Once, once you make it some, as long as it's their decision, massive power behind that. So we've got a great tip there, isn't it, about how to influence others and make it their decision to help us move the cultural and a philosophical change. What needs to be done now? What, what do you reckon, if we were to look into a crystal ball, where's the next move? In sport, you're talking about in the, well, the landscape we are now. Yeah, let's go broader, into, into, either into football or into sport in the, in the broader landscape, because, you know, we're, we're in changing, challenging times, and I wonder what the next big thing would be. I think what you have to look at here now is we... This is the opportunity in the yeah. challenge. There are, there are so many things that we do... And we all complain about, and we also we have to do it that way because we've always done it that way. This is the structure, and this is, now is a chance beyond anything I've ever known in in the sporting landscape to press a reset button. And I think if 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 you all said now, or if we all and we've all sat around it, you and I have done it, and with a million other different people in a bar late at night at a conference, sport shouldn't look like it does in this country. And if and if you were trying to explain it to a, an alien, you'd never get it across. And it's a spaghetti bowl of diagrams and. Maybe now is the time to reset and let's look at what, what do we need? What is, what is the why of what we want to do? We want more people active. That's proven. We want more people active. But we want people to play sport. We know inherently it's, it's good for young people. But, you know, it's, it's the, it, it drives them. It, there's, it's a million, whether it's for education, a social, you know, the health. Mental, and mental health. And, yeah, mental health. It, it, it's... Everyone just prescribes sport and physical activity as the thing that... So what's the reset button to do that, to do that most effectively? Probably now more than anything to do that in an economically viable method. And it's probably a lot cheaper than... Because the money that we've had in sport is going to shrink. That's without doubt. I mean, that's that's that's, and I'm not an economist, but that that would help. That's how it's going to look. You are a banker, though, so money is in. in I was a banker, yeah. So, um, you know, and and if I if 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 you're looking at sport as as your customer, well, you're going to have to diversify. You're going to have to shrink your business. You're going to have to work accordingly. You're going to have to look at new markets. You're going to have to think differently about how you operate. Well. Why would sport not want to do that? Yeah, some great you know, parallels. We're just bit small businesses here, aren't they? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly that. And we are a business of sport. Unless you know, I make no bones about sort of saying, yeah, we are all sport professionals. Yeah. We're not just people who like kicking and throwing a ball around. We're sport professionals. There's a lot of people in this industry, very bright, very yeah, very intelligent. They know what they're, they're professional people. Well, now we've got to start to look at well, what does that need to look like? Right. And I think that that's the, you know, what it looks like. I think we need to have a really strong debate about about what's right. I mean, I, I've lost count in the last six weeks, probably during this period, of how many people have contacted me from the various organisations and national bodies and 
and, and, and groups of people who represent people in, well, six or seven different people. What, tell us what your situation is. We're, we're going to take this to government or we're going to take this to this body or that. Well, who is it? What's, who's the one body who's going to make the biggest difference? And what does that look like? And how do we all buy into it? Not let's just get through this period now and let's go back to what it used to be like. Yeah. And, and definition of madness again. We keep yeah. doing what we've always done. We, always now, get... we were on the cusp. No, there were some great changes in what's been happening in, in sport and within physical activity. There's also a lot of stuff in there that everybody in the heart of hearts would go, it's probably not the most ideal way of doing it. And there are better ways of doing it and there are more effective ways of doing it. But no one's up for the change, really. Yeah. And maybe now is the maybe now is this is the opportunity for us all just to reset. You know, you, you can tell now looking around, everybody's of a different mindset. Yeah. Because they have to be, you know. So what do we all need to do collectively to make it better? Not for us as individuals who have sat in a role and that's their job title. What do we need to do for the four, five, six-year-olds out there who are going to just about to embark on their life in sport and playing sport? So what does it look like for them? And how do we make it look for them, not create the model we had on them? Powerful stuff, that, though, isn't it? You know, and, and, I, and I really love talking to you about this sort of stuff because it's that, um, again, playing to your philosophy about looking for opportunities um, looking for development and, and, and is the time really ripe and right to embrace some of these changes? You know, a lot of people are quite scared, aren't they, and being, you know, a bit um, cautious of making bold moves. But I think, you know, what I'm getting from you is that passion and the experience of this might be the, the, the opportunity. And I think that, and I think you're probably right. I, 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 it, it's, it's understandable. <laughs> understandable why people wouldn't want or would be, you know, not scared, but unsure because there's so much on you know there's so much insecurity and challenge that there is there and we we still don't know everything but we know that ultimately we'll come out of this mm. and it will be just different yeah. so what do we need to do to prepare to be different i mean one of the things that i always go back to it was a sport england funded management development leadership program way right. back there was it was telos partners who were delivering it and i met there i met um well, two people have always had an impact on. So Rosie Mays, who was a, who was a yeah. coach, and made a massive difference on my my development personally. But Alan Davis, who was he was the Welsh Rugby Union coach, and yeah. and he used to talk about. Um, he said, "Everyone, what's your framework for success?" And everyone starts with a purpose and a, you know, what we're trying to achieve and why. And, and we write some values and a vision statement and a mission and a strategy. And here's all the actions we need to do to, to deliver it. Yeah. And they miss out the whole, well, who are we going to do that with? And who will be important to achieve all of that purpose? And who are our partners? And what does success look like for them? Because we've defined what success looks like for us, but we haven't defined success for other people. So what does that look like? And then how do we measure and reward that and make that? What's the framework we put around it? Mm. Now, we've seen really recently when a government sets a target, a hell ban on will hit the target. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. It's a pointless exercise. It then immediately is useless. But, but that's only when you've done all of that can you start, what should we now do? Why? And how do we improve that? 
So it's, you know, that's one of the things that Alan Davis was brilliant at and just saying, don't go straight from your strategy to your action plan. Because if you missed out, if you miss out the other bit, and that's that bit about key relationships, that's that bit about the networking, that's that bit about that influence, that's that bit about really understanding how do you know you're going to be successful? Well, and it, it plays to, to that point, as you, as you mentioned before, actually, you, you, you want to deliver things with people. You can't do it on your own, whether the ship's a big ship or a small ship, you know, or your organization is big or small or whatever, is that it actually takes more than you. There's a bigger system in play here. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's it. That's it. You know, so, and we've got one hell of a big system in sport and there's lots of people and individuals and organizations in it. And some of it's, counterproductive yeah. i think or it doesn't give us the optimum return on our investment i also think there's a lot of interference that goes on in sport and you know there's that huge potential yeah and then there's a lot of interference so that then obviously reduces the performance level it has to do you're a person that's obviously grabbed hold of opportunities through your career and we're talking here about the opportunity that sat with us now you know to press reset or go again um and I'm sure you've, you've had a little go at many different things. Some obviously have been really successful and others less so. And, and I'm curious to hear about maybe one or two stories of something that you had a go with that didn't go to plan, but you managed to pull your way through it. Because I think at this time, this is a chance for us to give it a go. And actually, we can't be certain of success, but we can be certain that we can pull our way through it. And I'm wondering if you have any stories you could share with us. Um. Yeah, there are probably probably a million different ones where you've you've walked into a brick wall, or yeah. yeah. And I, I think I think mainly it it's not so much a particular thing that sticks in mind. There are probably there are probably several. I think it's about getting that real clarity at the start. That framework for success is if you don't get that clarity of your why at the start. And I think where where I've probably failed, and I said there'll be probably hundreds of projects which didn't see the light of day or didn't go well or didn't impact as well as they should have done because you didn't start from getting the why right yeah. that, you know, why are we doing this it's almost a and, it, and some of those could have been it was a commercial sponsor they've come into a sport and going this is what we need to do and this is what we're going to put our name to and you've gone along and um into cricket, there. Let's look back in cricket days. Yeah. Quick cricket, hugely, hugely, hugely successful. And still, still now in my coaching bag, I've got blue plastic bags, <laughs> yeah. which, by the way, are indestructible. They are. You know, they, <laughs> They're brilliant. <laughs> it was brilliant. Yeah, and quick cricket was this enormous impact on the game, getting thousands, millions of kids playing, and and it was a great opportunity. And then once you got to a point in your development of a Right, you're playing with a hard ball, put a helmet on and pads, and you've got these kids going, whoa, whoa, I quite like playing that game. And there was this, I remember at the time at, at ECB, we said, we've got to have this intermediate game. We've got, to, we've got to bridge the gap between quick cricket and the hard ball. And I remember starting, well, and it was almost, a, well, come up with a name first. So <laughs> we've got a brand and a name. And oh, one of the sponsors has said they'll do the kit for it. And... They didn't really want to do it to spend too much money. So they, they found some kit they already had in their warehouse in, in India or China. And that's what you have it. And we ended up with this ridiculous game, which was wooden bats, which were made out because it was wood. Well, we can't have English willow because they're expensive. So we'll have these pieces of wood that weighed, they weighed like 500 weight. The kids couldn't lift up. Everything about it was counterintuitive. And you knew you, well, we didn't start with the, 
so what the why was how do we create this transition what do we do we should have another adaptive version of the game the kit worked the plastic kit worked there's nothing wrong with plastic kit there was nothing wrong with maybe a different colored stamps but because we didn't really get our key relationships defined by success for them which was probably straightforward bottom line profit well if we do this it's really expensive to tool up the machinery to make this kit like this like you want it and import it it's going to be too expensive and therefore you didn't go through that key relationship define success how are we going to performance manage this whole process we just went straight into it we're having a game it's called into cricket we've got a someone's designed a logo already <laughs> and it, it was almost the first it started with a logo not not the wrong way around <laughs> yeah it was everything was the wrong way around and it was one of those things you go i'm never going to get involved in something like that again because this is this is ridiculous and it and it was ridiculous and and you were out there saying this is the intermediate game and people are looking at you really going this is rubbish how, how did you put, how did you pull through that where did it go to did it get out there and did you have to pull it back or did you read it, it that went out there it went out there there's probably there's probably people banging fence posts in with the bats now because that's the only that's what they'd be good for and be, it's it was one of those it took, you must have to go it's wrong and it and what happened was i think i think it was the end of a sponsors agreement and it was one of those lovely things we'd be able to go take that off the shelf it's not there. We don't, we don't talk to the new sponsor about it. And, and that's that thing I talked about before about, you know, logos in sport, logos. And it's sometimes, how many times have we done a program or a sport development program or a, you know, participation program to meet the needs of a sponsor who wants some collateral to deliver something? Do you really design what the individual participant needs or do you define the success in that reason is this is what the sponsor wants that's where you, you get the challenge and you know I'm, when i was at football and at the fa my point was was lots of organized football there's lots of structured football there's lots of leagues and cups and i mean it, the sport it makes incredible success out of doing that there was more people playing football just who wanted to just play yeah just i just want to play jump you know not not quite jumpers for goalposts but i just want to play just get on a ball and I'm going to play. I don't want any structure. I don't want any organisation. And it took a while, but once, you know, once Mars got hold of, and that was a, initially Mars wanted a programme. And actually by working with them and defining success and working with, we then got a very different, well, yeah, there's a lot of people out there who just want to just play football. But I guess by, you know, but playing to your point there, you know, looking at it, do you look at it from the, the commercial aspect or the sponsors aspect or, or is your starting point and your why based around your participant or your customer? Actually, what is the needs of the, the person involved? It's, it's participant centric, person centric. Yeah, I remember, um, again, the business development program, uh, or business uh, management program. Yeah. And it was at Cranfield, Cranfield Business School, which incredible people had some great, you know, brains in, in industry and work with some for, for, you know, fabulous organizations. And, and there was something there in one, in the middle of a lecture. It wasn't the lecture that was, it wasn't, this is what we're doing today. Yeah. It was just something within, you know, it was about customers and it was about the business that you're running. And there was just one thing in there that just talked about, but put your customer at the center of your thinking. And, and it was, you know, those, it was literally, the light bulb went on. 
why do we not do this at the centre of all our thinking? And now all we talk about now, participant focus, participant focus, and uh, rightly so, but I, I remember that point there of we have to, you know, when you turn up for my coaching session on a Friday night at the cricket club, yeah. it's not about it's not about my my plan about what I'm doing and right, we're going to get through this plan tonight because you arrive and you've got what you've got <laughs> right what do they want you know what what's good for them and with a structure obviously and with a with a with a, an outline plan but you you've got to think about what the what do my participants want I want them, I want them back next week mm. I want them to improve I want them to enjoy it I want them to have a smile on their face and but actually. I want them to still be playing in 50, 60 years' time with a smile on their face. And is that, is that nearly a, you know, a key measure? Because, you know, I guess what I'm really fascinated about in terms of your stories that, you know, working on big, large projects in terms of creating participation and development within a sport, i.e. cricket or football. But even the right way, if you parallel that down to actually I've got 15 young boys in front of me what's what is the success of their development and is it something around you know actually i want them to come back next week you know is it as nearly as simple as that i think i actually do think it is and i'm about to mention pat duffy before who was chief executive and um the, not just a, a really lovely man but yeah. a really great thinker and probably influences more people in coaching than we actually we actually realised how many people he influenced it with what he said. But I remember him, he used to talk to me about, I think it was his, I think it was his brother or a, I think it was, a, I think it was his brother who, was a, who played Gaelic football and he had a picture that he used to use of, this guy would have been mid-50s or there or there about, playing this, well, quite a <laughs> crackpot game really in some ways, <laughs> but loving it. Yeah, you know, a smile on his face and he played it for 50 years. And then he talked about, you know, if you, you know, he talked about a picture of a, of a young kid playing sport for the first time or being active and the smile on their face. Yeah. It says our job is just to take them through yeah. and they still have a smile and they love him playing sport when they're mid to late fifties or whatever. Yeah. And, they, and, and if we all do that, you know what, we don't need any programs. We don't need any, you know, it, it is just, how do we do that? Well, and having worked for Pat Duffy as well, recognize him as being a real big influence on my life. Um, he also used to talk about with a little girl called Hope and giving people hope through their opportunities okay, to play. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think it just resonates also with you. It's taking them through a journey, but you know, it's one of the words that I've picked up along the way of how, how do we give people opportunity, give them hope that they can progress and improve and enjoy and have a smile on their face and so on. And it, it feels like it's a real parallel that you've brought that through the different journeys that you've had in both in cricket and in football. You know, maybe even more so going into the sports that you're working in now in American football. Yeah, yeah and I think you, you, want, you want to create the opportunities. That thing I said about the start of those four, I think you create the right opportunities for some light hope. It's, it's, it's just participation, it's enjoyment, and it's coming back next week. And there comes a point when hope gets to a point where she's actually quite talented and she, <laughs> she's out. The opportunity for her now is to do something slightly different. Yeah. And, I, and I think in sports, sometimes we're, we're reticent at times to pass on a an athlete or a participant or a player to somebody else because that's actually the right thing to do. They need to now go and play here or somewhere else and knowing when that's the right time to, to pass them on and knowing the right environment they need to move to. Mm. I think that's sometimes the trick and, you know, not you're the coach. I need to coach this person. They're, they're, they're talented. I want, I want a bit of glory out of this. Yeah. 
well, no, give them to someone else who actually knows what they're doing with, with elite players or talent players and pass them on at the right time. Is that one of the biggest challenges we face, do you think, in the kind of sport and talent development arena here now? That kind of I think, how, how I think do you help progress? Yeah, I think it's better now. I think okay. it... I think it's I think it's improving. I don't think it's improved full stop and it's and it's right. Okay. I think there's still a huge amount to do in in identifying um the right environments for the for youngsters to play in. Mm. I still it still doesn't sit comfortably that we play elite county sport in many sports and football academies at seven, eight, and nine. It does not feel right. It's not right. Mm. So why are we doing it? You know, why are we doing it? Why are we doing well, it? I've never logos and egos <laughs> comes back to that probably. Um, I mean, I just don't think it's right. And I think you know, I think uh, Bayern Munich recently have just said, right, no, no more. Well, they're probably right. They're, well, they know they're right because it's the right thing to do. So I think we want we want young people to experience as many sports as possible, many environments as possible. They'll make the choice at the right time. Now, difficult if you're an early specialisation sport. I, that's, you know, if you yeah. if you go back to you know, if it's a gymnastics or swimming, I've been tend to be early specialisation. Yeah. Well, I must I understand that, but in team sports, that's just yeah, yeah, the right age to start with. And it, well, in team sports, it's probably thirteen or fourteen, probably. You know, the academic research. You know, going back to what I said before, academic research starts to talk about thirteen and fourteen as the first point where you start to think about specialising. Well, if the academic research says that, maybe we follow that. Um, well, Pete, and, I, and, I, and I'm also wondering here. You know, I'm, I'm I'm wondering whether these conversations were were still had when you started working on the champion coaching project back then. And are we still having those conversations now? And I'm wondering why. And if the academic research is saying this, what 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 needs to be done, or what are we not doing? I wonder. I think it's down to it, it, it's 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 individuals and individual organisations yeah. that they they feel the need to control and. Yeah. You know, and a lot of it, a lot of it will be down to finance and success and reward. And are we rewarding the right things? You know, you know champion coaching back in '90 was, you know, 11 to 15, 16 year olds you had, and and you the part of the process was to do a program of coaching with them and make them better and make them enjoy it and give them an opportunity to go and join a club and yeah, do lots of and things it, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't which club. It wasn't for that. It was just that they may have a, you know, pass them on put them in the right environment, create the right opportunity for them. For some, it probably wasn't right to go into a club. But for many, and some of them, you identify talent that you, well, they wouldn't have ordinarily had an opportunity. You know, and then, I don't know, many of those kids you know, suddenly went, went straight into really good standard of cricket at the time. Because mm. they wouldn't have been seen by their local club because they weren't a part of their local club. Nothing to do with it. They didn't have a culture of being in it. So but coming back to your point, I think it's, why have we done it? It's, finance reward success and it's difficult to, to come back from that it's difficult to to do anything other than and if you're a very big powerful sports club who want the best talent you, you can previously you could buy it and you could have you could keep hold of it and that's you know that's not doing that if it, if it was centered on that participant is that the right thing to do you, you, you're really making me sort of also ponder here about, you know, we used the word a bit about sort of reset and restart maybe around now and the opportunity that, you know, we're going through quite an interesting time for organisations and teams in both 
sport, you know, professional sport, Olympic sport, all sports, junior grassroots sport. And I wonder what, what our current circumstances will um, guide us to, really. And I wonder whether this is an opportunity to, to address some of those issues. Do you have a thought or a view? No, no I, I, think, I think it's right. And I think, I think it will create stronger links in communities. Right. Because that, that's what used to happen. You, you played in a local club and you ended up being... Yeah, you're quite talented and you were probably one of the better players and and then suddenly you were asked to go along and play in a, a rather representative game and someone and and eventually the, the county might have had a look at you and, and you ended up maybe playing a couple of games and doing well or not or you worked out whether you were good enough or not and but it was a connection between the 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 elite professional team in the community whether it be a football team a rugby team or a cricket team and it and it linked into its community of schools and clubs, and there was a real connectivity. And I wonder, is you know, now with you know, we just take these youngsters and we put them in an academy and we create a hot house. Now, there's a lot of really good things that you've got to say now about what happens with academy. That some of the, the coaching they have and the development they have, and and you know, and the the, the education they put around yeah. them, uh, you know, it, it's second to none. It's, it, well, ultimately, they're looking for one or two people out of tens of thousands. And, I, and my point is always, that's fine if you're taking them up the system and up the, the, the performance pathway. As long as if they fall out, we've got a safety net to catch them and feed them back in and look after them and then take them through. It might be a bit later when they come out. To, they? Find, their, to find their place, I guess, in the system. Yeah, yeah. I think it's about, you know, there'll always be late developers, but it's about... You know, when they drop out and they don't have a safety net, what happens? And we've we've seen it time and time again in in many sports, not just not just football. Mm-hmm. You know, if anything, what football will do is the ultimate meritocracy. They find the very best. It's it's what <laughs> it's what's been left behind is 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 sometimes the challenge. So, Pete, I'm I'm, I'm conscious that we're talking about you know how how do people progress through their careers, and you know just to parallel back to to you and your career. Um, can you identify, you know, a person where um, you maybe felt like you might have fallen out and they held you or they inspired you to keep you on your journey and what it was about them? Because I'm, I'm just keen for, you know, people that are listening in to really think about their journey and what, what they need to put around themselves and whether they can learn something from the experiences that you've had and who've helped you. Yeah, um, I, I think what's helpful for everybody is, is always have that, um, that trusted friend, that trusted confidant, that um, whether it's a coach or a mentor, or whether it's you know, but I think that's that's important to have someone that you can do that with, not not your line manager, or not your yeah. not your boss, but <laughs> but someone um, someone that you can have that conversation with. I mean, I'm really lucky. I've got you know through my time in sport, I've you know a lot of people who are personal, you know, close personal friends and. Who, who act in that role? I'm, I'm really, really lucky. One of my one of my best mates is Chris Brindley, who's one of the leading people in in sport in this country, leading the rugby league world cup, um, independent. He, he's one of my best mates, and he was one of my best mates before he was in all of those roles. So I'm really, really lucky that when I'm you know when I'm having a bad moment, it, it's yeah. it's a beer and a chat, and, it, and you get the benefit of Chris's huge wisdom and expertise. But I'm really lucky in that regard. But but having people like that around you i think that is the real important thing that you know everyone has a wobble you know yeah. there'll be people today having wobbles not and the people you perhaps don't expect to to wobble because you always look at them as being 
oh, they don't wobble. They never have bad days. They never wake up in the morning with doubt. And actually, sometimes you just need a, a sounding board and, a, and just to put yourself right and, and help you that way. And, and what, what does the likes of Chris bring to you, you know, in terms of somebody looking to put some of that system around them? What, what does he bring? What does he offer you that would help others think about what they put around themselves? I think it's. I think most of it is. It, it's creating that, um, that confidence, building your confidence. But more, more than, a lot of it's the challenge. Great challenge. You know, this shouldn't be frightened. We don't want someone around us who's telling us we're right all the time. That's for sure. You know. Um, you know. One of one of you know one of my uh, one of my greatest uh, support mechanisms is, is my wife who works in sport. And she, she, again, because she works in the industry, it's great to bring that different perspective of challenge. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you're saying one thing and you think you're, and then you suddenly hear a, another perspective yeah. and you think that's actually, yeah, that's changing my thinking. And, you know, you're not always, what you think is right, that's, I'm, I'm right and I'm in, yeah. if it's, it's like level five leadership. In, in, yeah. in good, yeah. Actually, it's just having lots and lots of really good people yeah. around you and, and making not the big noise leader but it's yeah. just making surrounding yourself with really talented people yeah. and that's probably you know I, i'm really lucky in that respect i've got a lot of friends and colleagues and who are you know, hugely talented and they have massive support to you but but i do I, I do love the perspective you put on it in terms of actually it's, it, it is about the support but it's also about the challenge you know it's about yeah. seeing the different perspectives and valuing that because you know i think we are very good at sometimes um, proving a point to ourselves or only seeing it through the lens or asking us ask we ask ourselves the questions we know the answers to and having somebody sometimes ask a question that we haven't got the answer to is a really helpful um I, I, I think it's and that was one of the things when i first went to cricket you know I, I think about it i'm yeah i've had a, about a career in banking uh, but i'm a lad from a council estate <laughs> there's now a lord's cricket ground surrounded by the great and the good of you know the mcc and all its history and, and ecb with all these you know, great people, you know, with massive long first-class careers and test careers, and the doubt when you work into some of those environments is actually, oh my God, should I be really here? Yeah, yeah. You know, is this a have I won this in a game show? Going through that process of building your own company. No, no, I've I've challenged myself. I know I'm right, and this is this is the argument I'm going to make, and and I think that's really important. And but having people around you who just have that little word and going have you, have you thought about this and have you thought about that and yeah and it's a lovely point i think what it's going to look like from the other side and just turning just turning some of your thoughts back at you a little bit and yeah. you know uh, Lord, lordy was always great at that you know i was always in awe of him at least I, you know i never tell him that but i know i always but i always used to sit back and go cool when this bloke talks and there was, there was you know two or three other people at ecb bruce cruz who's now head of their facilities when when some people talk you listen yeah <laughs> and you, and, and you, you don't immediately go, no, no I'm, I know I'm right here. And you, but, oh, actually, they're saying something I haven't thought of here. Yeah. And just listening and playing it through is massive, massive, you know, you know bonus to, you know, to what you're doing. And, and, and you've, you've, you've flipped it for me lovely there in terms of actually some of what you bring to this, in terms of actually having a, a group of people around you, but actually opening your own ears really to, to listening and, and and taking on board what people have got around you is a real valuable thing it's not saying that you took everything on board and implemented it but actually digested it and worked it out for yourself 
to, to go forward. Yeah, and I think, I think that's the important thing it, it is that, well, what does this look from, from the other side? You know, what, yeah. have I thought of everything here? The scenarios, have I played them through? You know, some of the scenarios I haven't played through because, well, clearly I wouldn't think that way because yeah. someone else thinks differently. Yeah. But, and I think it's that, you know, you, you, you seeking to understand. Yeah. That's really important. You know, I don't know. I understood everything. You know, before I make myself understood, I've got to understand yeah. Yeah. the environment. I mean, I think that's really important. And yeah. the good old Stephen Quovey coach, isn't it? I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. First seek to thought, understand, then be understood, isn't it? I think it stands the yeah. test of time, doesn't it, from what you're saying? Yeah. yeah, and I think it's it's only when when you asked me to do this, and I, I sort of thought back of you know you, you talk about some of the books, and and I realised that Covey's book is probably the one that I've always had and referred to, and I don't talk about the book. You, know, you must read this, and you must read that. But it's the only re what you actually realise, like years and years later of doing it, however you know, many years ago, you realise everything you're saying and thinking and doing. Actually, everybody else's book is. From that same book. They've all taken one part of it and written another book or another another uh, program on the back of it. And it's actually going back to that sort of thinking is, yeah, that's pretty much where it is about that. Working from becoming independent and then becoming interdependent is yeah, yeah. really, really important. So that you know, those young people out there who are going on this journey, you don't suddenly go from where you are to where you want to be. There's there's a journey and you have to really get that right and put people around you on the journey. Yeah. Well, Pete, it's a great segue because, you know, bringing us to a kind of a focal point, I'm going to throw a few questions at you, okay? And we could get carried away here because there's so much more we could cover. You know, we haven't really delved into to the, the, the Great Britain American football world or any of that sort of stuff. But I, I'm going to fire a few questions of you and then we'll come to some of that stuff. Um, but see if we can keep quite sharp. And I know this is going to press a few buttons because I'm going to ask you to start off with about a few books. And you've often said here, you know, you're not big into your books, but the gems that you've come out with, I know have come from some places. So yeah, yeah they probably have. It, I don't read one book over and over again. I think yeah. like that, but I realized in preparation for this, there's, there was, you know, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits. Yeah. I realized that I took an incredible amount from that. Um, more recently, um, probably the last two years or so, maybe two to three years, you know, turning the ship around, David Marquette, about the, I know nothing about, I know a lot more about submarines now than I did before <laughs> yeah. I read the book, clearly. Yeah, I did. But, um, yeah, but the concept of, you know, we've all, you know, leader, leader, not leader, follow. And it's, yeah. you know, the challenge to to that is that I found that really, really fascinating. And then, and probably over and above that, I mean, I, one book I go back to from years and years, when I was Tom Peters, yeah. Passion for Excellence. It's as relevant now as as it was in oh, I don't know, probably the mid eight mid late eighties. Yeah. Tom Peters it was in search of excellence, a passion for excellence. He was the yeah, before the time, before the time, aren't they? A lot of yeah, that. very much so. But when you actually start talking about you know the the mayor of Baltimore, who just the only way he was going to get the potholes filled in in Baltimore was was he ended up he sold them all for Valentine's Day messages. <laughs> It basically said, you, you want a Valentine's Day message on the street, we'll, we'll put the tarmac in, fill it up, we'll paint the picture, we'll send you a picture. And you think, that sort of thinking... There's opportunities that maybe you've ever heard of it, you know. Well, there we go. You know, we talk about potholes out there now. So Passion for Excellence with Tom Peters was good. Um, probably one, more... One more if you've got, or not? Just one more. Oh, well, one more. Oh, blimey, I've got a list here. Probably... I'll do two. Um, Go on, then, yeah, yeah. 
Great. Well, good to great, Jim Collins, just yeah. the philosophy around it, not the book itself, but just the concept, concept. of little five yeah. leadership. And, um, and then probably in terms of thinking, uh, Matthew Syed, Black Box Thinking. Yeah. And by the way, Matthew won't thank me for this. Don't, you don't have to read the whole book. Just read the first two comparative <laughs> chapters of airlines and National Health Service and you'll get okay. it. And that's that. They'd be the ones I would. Yeah. Well, we like those little tips as well because some of us like reading books and others like short, sharp sort of um, sound bites, which are really helpful and useful. And we can yeah. take what well, we need. My wife's always one of those. She just she goes, "Oh, what's that book you're reading?" And I'm looking at that. Well, just tell me about it at the end. I don't have to read. <laughs> read, it. read it for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, go on. Let me move you on. What kind of technology do you engage in? What's been really helpful and useful to you? What would be your your go-to wow. thing? I, well. I, my, my phone. I, I'm a, we're an Apple household, I okay. guess, is what yeah. I think I would say. Yeah, my phone. It, when, when you actually think about having that one thing in your hand, I, yeah. I find it. I'm of an age now, 59 this year. I, I, I can go back. I can remember three television channels. Yeah. And I can remember when those television channels didn't start until four <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon as well, by the way. Um, and I'm black and white TV. So, you know. To have in my hand an ability for music, television, downloads, a, a computer more powerful than the one that put man on the moon, the communication elements of it, the apps, the, the at your fingertips. What do you what do you use your phone? What do you use your phone for most? Would you say nowadays? Because it's not a phone, is it? As you say, no. It's kind of... That's the thing. It's not a phone. I mean, yeah. it just helps to make calls as well. Yeah, you know, that, that's the thing I I've got it now. Um, it is, it is pretty much all, all the information I need. I, 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 pay, I pay at the till with it. Yeah. It's, it's your banking app. It's, it's, it's all my photographs of my grandchildren and yeah. my, my family. And yeah. it, it's, I don't know. And, and if I'm on a train and coming back, well, not that you do that at the moment, but train back from London, um, you'll just download something off Amazon Prime and watch a documentary. Okay. That ability in your hand, I find you know, incredible, especially when I speak to my, my, my stepson and my grandchildren, they're all sort of similar. And it's the incredulity of them going, well, well what, which games did you used to play when you were What, which programs did you watch on your phone? <laughs> the phone in my, in my house was, when we eventually got one, was a great big thing, black <laughs> thing that we had dialed. And actually we shared, we shared the line with Mrs. Morgan from down, we had a shared line. Sometimes you pick it up and you could hear someone else on the line and it that's just incredible in my yeah. view so yeah my, probably the thing i could do it i could never do without my phone it's well, okay no good stuff right i'm, I'm going to speed us up here now so um quick sharp answers and this is a challenge for us then how, how do you prepare yourself to be in the best shape you can both physically and mentally exercise i'm very lucky you live on top of the lancashire hills over the wall from me is the lancashire hills there's millions of acres just get out in some right. fresh air sunshine and and sometimes just look at them Good, yeah, no, I like it. Um, if, if you won the lottery, how would you spend your significant winnings? Set up a foundation for sport and invest it back in young people playing more sport. Great. Uh, what advice would you give to your teenage version of yourself? Blimey. Given your career. And, and... Um, I think going back to what we said before about have a clarity of why you want to do what you want to do. Yeah create yourself um, that purpose i wish that i had that purpose of yeah. making a difference and the things i talked about before really early because that then 
that every, everything, every decision you make yeah. based on your purpose and your values. And if you've got those at the start of your career, you'll, you'll make more good decisions than bad decisions. Yeah. Lovely. Really powerful stuff, that. Pete, you've mentioned a number of people along, you know, throughout the, the conversation today, but I'm going to ask you, focus down onto two or three people that have really positively impacted on you. Yeah, I think I've mentioned you know, Sue Campbell at the start, yeah. absolutely influential. Um, Alan Davis, uh, yeah. absolutely. And, and then uh, probably on a day-to-day basis, you know, now, uh, you know, one of my best mates, Chris Brindley, um, right. just very, very clear, sharp, focused on supporting, but challenging, but absolutely, it's coaching probably without me realising it. And I, and I don't know if it's one of the same questions here, but then... If I was to ask you, whose sports story would you most like to hear, given, you know, the conversation we've had today? Blimey, that's so many. I mean, it's, you have all your heroes. <laughs> I was, that's a really difficult one. Yeah. You have all your heroes. But I'd, if I could really get and understand um, that it is a hero, George Best was absolutely the, the finest footballer that ever lived. But just to understand from his perspective, not what everybody else says about it. Yeah. I'd just love to hear... From his perspective, yeah, and from his mouth, nearly, you know, yeah, you know, what, you know, his, what was his why? Who were his, who were his support? Who were his mentors? Who were, and why? You know, oh. and that, I find that incredible, you know, to to understand, you know, where he came from. Pete, you've shared such a lot, and you know, as I said, your day job now is involving building up and creating a, a fantastic opportunity with a new governing body and I think you mentioned it to me earlier on today about actually not having a lot of the politics around it do you want to just tell us just before we, we sign off a little bit about what you're currently doing and what you hope to do in the future with that just so you know who's yeah. listening get a bit of a sense of what journey you're currently on and where you're going yeah uh, and it was it was one of those moments of um you know almost semi-retired started <laughs> doing some consulting some coaching and sort of winding down a little bit and in looked at lots of opportunities that were coming around in sport with tens of hundreds of years of baggage of governance and structures and blazers and you know white-haired middle-aged men who only see their sport this way to an opportunity to to work with what I feel is is a one of sports best kept secrets I love the sport as everybody sort of sees the NFL and the the razzmatazz of, of American sport but actually in this country yeah, we've got the best part of 15,000 players. We've got over 200 clubs. And it's, it's the chance to really... We've always talked in, in sport about building a high-performing national governing body. Now, that's possible. Quite often, you've got to undo huge amounts. This is an opportunity to work with... You know, I'm not going to say there aren't politics, but there's an opportunity with a, with a great board, with a fantastic chair, with a, a passionate and committed volunteer workforce. Because before me, it was all voluntary and still is. Yeah. In essence, there's only me as a paid employee. Yeah. But the passion and the commitment and the drive of, of where they can take the sport, it, that's what is really exciting. You know, building that high-performing governing body, looking at where you can actually go with it yeah. is just an opportunity you know, too good to miss. Um, well, good luck on that. And, you know, give, given everything that you've shared today in terms of what you did in cricket and, you know, the impacts and the changes in football, there should be no doubt that we can't keep taking this one on a journey, you know, in terms of actually moving it on. So I want to wish you really good luck on that. And, I'm, you know, and I'm really keen to be a part of it in terms of hearing how things progress and move on. So good luck. 
and, and thanks for being so open and honest along the, our story today. You know, I think for me, knowing some of what you've shared, but also finding out new parts about you, and especially coming back to that real make a difference purpose, I think it's come through really powerful. And never before um, do we need, I think, in the sporting landscape, people that are looking to make the most of opportunities and overcome elements of diversity, because we've got some big challenges ahead. I think having that kind of positive outlook and stance on, on the world going forward and recognizing the power that we can actually generate through sport is, is fantastic. So th thanks for enlightening me and, and engaging me with that passion today. And, and should people want to find out a little bit more about what you do and how you, you're doing it, can they make contact with you in any way or find out yep. through any vehicles yep. at all? Absolutely delighted to on LinkedIn. Uh, my, my Twitter handle you, you, you have, um, yeah. at Akers1961. And I'm here at Pete, Ackley at BritishAmericanFootball.org. So, you know, very happy if there's any part of what I'm doing that's of interest to people or yeah. can share anything in any way, I'd be delighted to. But, you know, I've, I've been incredibly fortunate of the best part of 30 years involved in sport and, and taking something from sport in, in, in sport development terms. And, you know, be delighted if I can give just one small bit back. Yeah. Well, Pete, I think you've given back and you're continuing to give back. So once again, thanks for being with me today. Um, and who knows, maybe in a couple of years time or even a few months time, we can come back together and have another conversation as things continue to move. But thanks again, really appreciate your time. And what I make sure is I'll, I'll put elements of your contact details on the show notes below the podcast so people can make contact. Nice. Thanks again. It's been a great pleasure to be with you today. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So there we have it, the journey of Peter Ackley from banking to British American football by a significant time spent at the England-Wales Cricket Board and at the FA. I'm sure you'll agree Pete has some great insights and experiences and has worked at his career and followed a clear passion and purpose. I've taken many reflections from Pete's story, but I am led to think about what success means to me. I would therefore like to pose the following questions to you. What is your framework for success? And who are your key partners and support to enable you to progress? I'd love to hear your thoughts and reflections, so please get in touch at www.sportstories247.com. You can also make contact via LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. Please also leave a review on all the major podcast platforms, as it'll be great to hear your thoughts. So from me, Dave Levine, look after yourself, take care and I really look forward to having you with me on the next show.